2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting partway through verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thanks, Neil. Um, Good morning uh, once again. Welcome to our visitors and family guests and members, some we uh, familiar faces and some the first time, uh, at least for me. Um, so my name's Nick, for those people. Uh, it's my privilege to be the pastor of Yas Community Baptist Church here. Um, if you're at the back and you want to be further towards the front, there has been some vacancies uh, uh, arranged through sending out the kids to Kids Church. You f- can feel free to be wherever you want to be this morning, but if you do want to get closer... Um, Abraham, who's a regular front row member, can attest that you don't get too wet um, <laughs> if you sit in the front. Um, uh, Dave, if you could pop up that first image, we'll go from there. So let's pray uh, together as we come to God's word this morning. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. And I pray this morning that as we come to explore your word together, that uh, any words that are from me and not of you would fall to the ground. But I pray that is what is from you, Uh, would be implanted in our heart by your Holy Spirit, that we wouldn't come to your word and go away unchanged this morning, that we'd be transformed by it, that we'd be renewed by it, that we'd be encouraged by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, So Steve alluded to, this is part four of our series we're calling Indescribable, uh, all about the extraordinary grace of God. And so the reason we're calling it Indescribable is as much as we try and explain and describe it, there's always more of God's amazing grace for us to to grasp and explore. And and so because it's part four, I just want to recap you a little bit on where we've been. And because we've got some uh, guests here this morning, some visitors, um, I will remind you that if you want to catch up on the previous ones. Um, you can search on your podcast apps now for Yas Community Baptist Church um, and you'll find our sermons uh, on there thanks to um, a few people but especially Carl for getting that podcast happening. Um, but we began this series with uh, a whole new world, um, that line from Aladdin that, that uh, there's a whole new world and a new fantastic point of view and, and what we meant by that is that grace is not something we can bolt on to our regular understanding of how the world works. We're all shaped by a a performance paradigm mindset that says we're loved and accepted if we behave right and if we perform right. But grace is a completely different worldview, a completely different paradigm that doesn't get bolted on or we use a software analogy installed upon uh, the operating system of performance. It's a whole new world where grace means that we are loved and accepted apart from our behavioral performance. That God loves us and accepts us because of Jesus' payment on the cross for us, not because of how we perform or behave. That Jesus paid the price in full for us. Grace says that we are loved and accepted apart from performance. 
And so we moved on in the next one to talk about that that means there is now no condemnation, no punishment, no sentence for us to serve because we're in Christ Jesus. Jesus paid the full penalty and so now there is no judgment, no condemnation left for us. Though we are guilty of sin, no condemnation remains for us. And because of that as well, there is no place for us to condemn others. Jesus said to uh, the crowd who wanted to stone a woman caught in adultery, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. And they all went away because they all, it was revealed to them by the Spirit perhaps, or they just knew in their own mind that none of, no one was without sin, no one had the right to cast a stone. And Jesus was left remaining there, the only one in all of history who had the right to condemn this woman, to judge her, to throw a stone at her, to kill her. Uh, Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And so under grace, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And last week we explored the idea of being transformed by this grace, that that. Uh, as Jesus told the parable of, a, of the unmerciful servant who had uh, what we talked about in, in modern terms would be a $14 billion debt cancelled but went away to someone who owed him a few hundred bucks and demanded that he repay the price. And actually Carl in his kind of Facebook blurb about last week's sermon used an analogy that I'm kind of like, oh, I wish I had a thought that and used it in my sermon. But it's like he said, if someone gives you a, a brand new car, will you drive it in the same way as your old bomb? Or will you let the size of your gift transform the way you behave? And so last week we explored this idea that, that the enormous gift that God's grace is should transform our behavior. So unlike the unmerciful servant, we encountered in the scriptures a man named Zacchaeus who was a tax collector. He cheated his own people out of, out of money. He had extorted his own people and he was very good at it because he was very rich. Um, but he encountered unconditional love and acceptance through grace, in Je- through Jesus and his grace. And that transformed his behavior in a moment. He paid back four times what he'd extorted and he gave away half of his money to the poor. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. And so Zacchaeus gave us a picture of what it looks like to actually truly receive grace. That if we truly receive God's grace, his, his love and acceptance that comes to us through Jesus' sacrifice, not through our own behavior and performance, it will transform our behavior and performance. That, that grace provides for us a safety net of love and acceptance that we cannot lose if we're faithful and if, we, if we're trusting in Jesus, that we're free to step out and perform, to behave in the way that he calls us to behave. And, and so, so far, we've been talking about this thing called grace in terms of the free gift of salvation that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. And, and sadly, many believers stop here when it comes to grace. And so this morning, I, I want to remind you of those old commercials that the name of the man was Tim Shaw, and he always wanted to give you some steak knives, and he used the words, but wait, there's more. And I was thinking about that this morning. I thought there must be households all around Australia that have steak knives in drawers that they never wanted, um, but they just came with the, the sweetener on the deal. But this morning, I want us to grab those words when it comes to grace. Grace is God's free gift of salvation through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us. Grace is 
God's love and acceptance for us apart from our own behavioral performance. Grace is God's free gift that transforms us. That means there's no condemnation for him who is in Christ Jesus, but there is more to grace than that. And so before we jump into that, I want to ask you some questions to to take us into a deeper place of our understanding of grace. And and the questions I want you to ponder this morning are, do you feel like this guy? Do you feel like you're pushing something uphill? Either in your life, do you just feel like life at the moment for you is a matter of pushing a boulder up a hill? Or perhaps you feel like your, your Christian walk, your, your attempts to be faithful to, to Jesus in life, your Christian life is like pushing a boulder up a hill. Or perhaps you feel like you've got a specific calling from God to do specific things, and, but for you it just feels like you just can't get any momentum and it's just pushing a boulder up a hill. Do you feel like life is a, an, an effort of pushing something up a hill this morning? That's, that's what I want us to ponder as we come to explore the but there's more of grace this morning. Because grace is not only the means of our salvation, but it's God's empowering and enabling presence with us. Let me say that again. Grace is not only the means of our salvation, of your salvation and my salvation. It is God's empowering and enabling presence with us. In Acts 4.33, we we get um, one of the many verses in the New Testament that talks about grace in this way, about being more than just God's free gift of salvation. It says in Acts 4.33, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. Throughout the New Testament we get this word power or strength linked together with this word grace. If we just think grace is God's free gift of salvation, then it doesn't really make sense in this context that with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much free gift of salvation was upon them. The grace that was upon them was the enabling presence, the empowering presence of God that allowed them to testify with great power. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9-10, Paul says, and we read this last week, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but, the grace of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. This free gift of salvation had a transforming effect on Paul, but he goes on and says, No, I worked harder than all the other, others of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So Paul was transformed by this free gift of salvation that transformed his behavior to work harder than others, but he also acknowledged that it wasn't his own strength, it wasn't his own power, it was the grace of God, the empowering and enabling presence of God that was with him that enabled him to do what he did as an apostle. And so much, so often is grace used in this sense throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament, that some theological tr- traditions take on an understanding of grace that, that treats it like a, a, a substance, almost a spiritual liquid. 
um, and, and I believe misunderstands it in, in that there's things that you do in order to gain more of this substance of grace. That, that if you perform the right rituals, then, then you get some grace from God. It's, a, it's a, a thing that you can transact with God. I believe that's a misunderstanding. But so often is this, this empowering, enabling sense of grace used throughout the scriptures. It's understandable how people got to that place. And so we need to remember that, that grace, at the very heart of all its different senses and meanings, fundamentally means a free and undeserved gift. Paul is not saying, I worked harder than all the others, but I earned this grace from God that enabled me, or I won this grace from God that enabled me. He's saying that God's enabling, empowering presence was a free and undeserved gift with me that enabled me to work harder than all others. And so that grace is not, uh, in a sense, a substance that we can purchase off God, it is, in a sense, the fuel that powers us as followers of Jesus. We began, I began with asking the questions, do you feel like you're pushing life uphill? And actually, what I want you to imagine is your life not as a boulder, but as a car. Because I think a lot of what we do as followers of Jesus often is the car is filled with petrol. We've, we've come to Jesus and we've received his free gift of grace. The, the car is full of petrol, which if you know what petrol is, it's, it's loaded with potential energy. It's loaded with the capacity to produce power to drive that car over great distances at great speed. But if we're referring to our Christian life, often what many believers do and what many of us do is we're filled with the power of grace, but we try and push the car around in our own strength. It doesn't make sense when it comes to a car to to go down to Caltex or um, United Petrol and, and fill it up and close the door and then try and push it home. It's exhausting and near impossible if you live at the top of Discovery Drive. Maybe if you live downhill um, from the petrol station, it's possible. But this is, it's, it's a silly idea and it's a silly analogy, but when it comes to the power of grace in our lives, it's what many followers of Jesus, it's what we often do. We're filled with the potential of God's enabling and empowering grace, yet we try and do it in our own strength. Or worse still... The car never leaves the garage. Maybe we tried to push it around and we got exhausted and so we left it at home. That, that we give up on living the Christian life, we give up on being followers of Jesus in any meaningful sense and we just park it in the garage because we try to do it in our own strength. And all along that, that vehicle is in the garage filled with the potential power of petrol in its tank. We've parked ourselves, we've parked our life because it got hard, but all along we're filled with the potential power of God's enabling and empowering presence in us. In what Neil read to us this morning, we get a great understanding of of Paul's understanding of this sense of of grace in 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10. I encourage you, if you've got a Bible, to look at it. 
in front of you or if you don't, um, digital's okay and the advantage of that is you can flip over to Facebook when you get bored and I won't even notice because I'll think you're reading your Bible diligently. Two Corinthians twelve seven to ten. Paul says to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to tempt me. Three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But He said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness." And so Paul had a thorn in the flesh and and we don't know what it is and many biblical interpreters, interpreters, that's a new word for you this morning, interpreters have, have argued throughout history about what was Paul's thorn in the flesh but through this passage and through some other passages it seems most likely that it was a physical ailment, a physical illness of some kind. And so keep in mind that through Paul's ministry Uh, Through the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, he had seen many people healed of all kinds of illnesses and diseases. Paul was a person who knew the power of God to heal, and so he comes to God and says, three times it says he came to God, which three in in ancient kind of Hebrew-shaped people um, is is a a number that fits with completeness. Um, so when we read holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, that's not just saying it three times for repetition, that's saying he is completely holy. And so Paul's saying three times I prayed, three times I called out to God to take this thorn away from me, knowing that Paul has seen many other people healed, and God's response is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so we see this word grace, And this word power, again, together in the same sentence. Grace is the enabling, empowering presence of God. God is not saying that my free gift of salvation is enough for you, so don't ask for any more. God is not saying to Paul, well, I've forgiven you all of your sins, and they were enormous because you persecuted the church, so that's enough for you. You don't get more than that. You don't get healing as well. What God is saying to Paul is that my enabling and empowering presence for in you and through you is enough for you in spite of the thorn in your flesh. That his power and strength is enough in Paul's weakness and frailty. And in fact, as Paul goes on, he, 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 he is taught by God through this episode the importance of relying on grace. He goes on to say, as Neil read, Therefore I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulty, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And so Paul learnt the lesson that when he relies on his own strength, he's in fact weak. But when he relies on God's grace, God's enabling power and presence, he's strong. 
And so he, he shifts his perspective from one in which I need this thorn in the flesh, I need this trial, I need this obstacle, I need this hardship removed from my life so I can serve God, to one of this hardship, this obstacle, this weakness, these insults, this opposition in my life actually enables me to be strong in God's grace. Paul learnt the lesson from this thorn in the flesh so much so that it says he boasts in his weaknesses. I don't know about you, but I usually try and hide them. I usually try and uh, hope against hope, though my weaknesses are sometimes blatantly obvious that no one will notice that I have a single weakness in my life. That, that I am perfect at everything. I don't know about you, but that, uh, I think it is something that drives us, at least in Western culture, that we have to be strong and perfect and independent. That there, there's no room for weakness in our life. Because we have to be self-sufficient. Self-reliant is the, the goal of, of, of Western civilization. But Paul, through this thorn in the flesh, flips that on its head. He's, he's a, an extremist in the, the best sense of the word. God teaches him a lesson that, that God's grace is sufficient, that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul goes and hunts out weakness in his life because he knows that every area where his strength is not enough is an area of his life where God's grace will be more than enough. So God's grace, His enabling, empowering presence enables us to be strong through opposition, through trial, through hardship, through those times when we feel like we're pushing a boulder uphill. Through every situation in life, God's grace is enough for us, for us to continue going, for us to persevere, for us to endure. In Hebrews 4.16, the the writer of Hebrews says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Grace is God's enabling and empowering presence to help us to endure in our time of need. Grace is God's empowering and enabling presence to help us follow Him. And so if we seek to endure, if we seek to persevere in our life, in our Christian walk, in our calling from Jesus, without relying on God's grace, but by relying on our own strength, it's like filling up the car with petrol and then trying to push it home. It's like filling the car up with petrol on our commute to Canberra in the morning, for those who do that, and then trying to push it all the way to Canberra. Everybody who saw you try and do that would either assume there was no petrol in the tank or that you were a fool. But so often as followers of Jesus, that's what we do. We try in our own strength instead of relying on the power that's within. And sadly, as I said, many give up and leave the car in the garage. We are called instead to rely on the power of God's grace. We are called instead of trying to present to the world that there's not a weakness within us and to rely on our own strength to 
boast about our weakness, to boast about how we are not strong enough so that God's strength might be evident in us. Paul learnt this lesson through the thorn in his flesh. We have the opportunity to learn from his wisdom written in the scriptures. Grace is God's empowering and enabling presence to help us as we follow him. But there's still more. More than just steak knives as well, there is still more to our understanding of grace from the scriptures because grace empowers us and enables us not just for the natural but the supernatural. Grace empowers us and enables us not just to endure and continue on but to do more than we could ever possibly do in our own strength and capacity. In, in 1 Corinthians 12 now, not 2 Corinthians 12, in 1 Corinthians 12 verses 1 to 6, Paul says to, to the Corinthian church, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working but the same God who works all of them in all people. So you might be saying, well, where's the word grace in that? And give me a minute. Don't be so aggressive. I will show you. So there's two times in that first six verses where the word gifts is written in English. Once in the first verse where it says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And the actual Greek word there is pneumatikon, which is another cool Greek word, pneumatikon. And this actually means the, the, the spiritual realm or the spiritual life. In context, we can add the word gifts to it, but, but it means more, I don't want you to be ignorant about this, the spiritual realm of things. And Paul talks about the Holy Spirit being the person of God that interacts with us in this realm. And so grace is not a, an abstract, depersonalized force like petrol is. It is the power of God in us, but it is not depersonalized. It is, it is given to us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 1, spiritual gifts is pneumaticon. But in verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. That word is charismata. And so a brief... Greek lesson for us this morning around the word uh, charismata. So charis is the Greek word for grace. So when we, when we read most of the, the, the English words grace in our English translations, the Greek word behind that is charis. Now if we add the ma to it, charisma, it is the end result of grace. The impact on a person when grace is empowering them. Charismata is just the plural word for that. And so charisma, if we were to translate it literally, rather than gifts, would be grace endowments. 
the what is left behind, the gift that is left behind when grace is empowering you and enabling you. And so if we were to read verse 4 literally, it would say there are different kinds of charismata, there are different kinds of endowments of power and enabling that grace gives, but it's the same spirit that gives them all. And so clouded behind this word gift is the fact that the spiritual gifts are all about grace, all about God's enabling and empowering. Some scholars refer to the spiritual gifts as gracelets, little bits of grace that are manifest in the life of believers. Spiritual gifts given through the Spirit. Now I'm going to read on and I want you to to grab from these next verses the nature of of these gracelets, of these grace endowments, of these results of grace upon the life of a believer. Paul says in verse 7 and going on, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. And so what stands out about these spiritual gifts, these endowments left behind in the life of a believer by grace enabling and empowering them, what stands out about them? They are all things that we could not do in our own strength. They are all things that we do not have the capacity to do apart from grace, apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit ministering grace into our lives. So not only does grace enable us to to live a, a life of following Jesus, it enables us to do the supernatural. It enables us to do that which is impossible to do apart from grace. In, in a couple of chapters later, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, Paul says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gifts of prophecy. And so these charismata, these, these gifts deposited in our lives by grace give us supernatural ability and Paul says that we should eagerly desire them. Now, now the root Greek word for eagerly desire here is zealot. Be a zealot. Be fanatical pursuers of the spiritual gifts. So often we have an attitude of, well, spiritual gifts are great, the, 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 the empowering of the supernatural through grace is great, and if God wants to do that in my life, then uh, he can do that, and I give him my permission. But that's not the attitude that the Scriptures call for us to have. This one of, well, I'm open to it, but God's got to whack me with it, um, and then I'll reluctantly use the spiritual gift. Paul says to be a zealot, to eagerly, passionately, fanatically pursue the working of grace empowerment in your life. 
And in fact, to do otherwise, Paul says in Galatians, is to cut ourselves off from grace. He says in Galatians, do you now continue in the flesh having started in the spirit? And then later on in Galatians, in doing so, you cut yourself off from grace. This is not just cutting ourselves off from God's free gift of salvation. If we, if we seek to perform what God's called us to do in our own effort, we cut ourselves off from his enabling and empowering presence. God will let us try in our own strength if we want to. We just won't get very far. And see, so the thing is, the Christian life, what we are called to do as followers of Jesus, is impossible. To be a follower of Jesus in the way the New Testament describes is impossible. I can't do it and neither can you. We are unable to function fully as followers of Jesus if we operate in our own strength instead of the power of God's grace. And so what we do is we either water down the calling to a level that is possible in human effort. We water it down to be nice, don't swear, don't smoke, you know, try and be friendly. Don't download illegally off the internet. Keep your car within 5 or 10 kilometres of the speed limit. We either do that, we, we water it down to a level that is humanly achievable or we just strive hopelessly in our own strength till we give up. But, but we're not called to follow either of those options. We're called to follow the impossible calling empowered by the empowering and enabling presence of God's grace that enables us to do the impossible. We're called to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. We're called to be witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth. If you were one of Jesus' followers and, and listening to any of his great commissioning statements, you would not have thought, gee, that's pretty easy. We've got that covered. That should take, keep us busy for 12 months and then we can go back to being nice. If you were standing in Jesus' presence as he gave his commissions to his first followers, you would have felt the impossibility of it. That's why Jesus said to his first followers, don't start until power comes upon you from on high. Don't even leave Jerusalem, which was was the first place of their calling, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Jesus said, don't even leave Jerusalem until power from on high comes upon you. Don't even start to think about doing this in your own strength. Because it won't work. We'll either water it down or we'll burn out and give up. Christian life was never meant to be possible but God's grace now enables us and empowers us to do the impossible. One of um, Paul who 
who is the one who has articulated God's grace to us in the scriptures, one of his, um, I think, favorite people was Timothy. He, he, he refers to Timothy as his son, um, though we know that he was not his biological son, but his affection for Timothy was as such that he spoke of Timothy as, as my son. And so Paul wrote two letters to Timothy that, we, at least two that we have a record of that he, after Timothy had, had, had kind of been left by Paul to, to oversee the church in Ephesus, Paul had moved on in his ministry and he wrote two letters to Timothy um, that are part of what we would call the pastoral epistles, Paul writing to people who were leading churches, Timothy and Titus, um, uh, the main part of that. And there's two verses, one in 1 Timothy and one in 2 Timothy that I want us to grab hold of as we come towards an end this morning. In, ver- in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says this to his son, Timothy. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. What do you think the Greek word for gift might be? Charis. Paul is saying to Timothy, his son, who's leading the church in Ephesus after Paul has moved on, do not neglect the grace of God in your life that you received when the elders laid hands upon you and prophesied over you. Do not neglect God's grace for you. Don't even start to try and lead this church to try and fulfill your calling in your own strength because you'll fail. You'll either water it down or you'll burn out and give up. Do not neglect the grace that you've received. And the other one, in, in the other letter, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, he says, You then, my son, be strong in what? The grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't say to Timothy, Man up, you can do this. Paul doesn't say to Timothy, come on. Stir yourself up. Rattle your shield. You've got this. You can do this in your own strength. Paul says, be strong in the grace. Be strong in the enabling and empowering presence of God in your life. That is yours in Christ Jesus. That is yours in Christ Jesus. And so I would want to encourage each of us this morning with Paul's words to Timothy. Do not neglect in your own life the grace that you have received. And if you feel like, well, I don't feel like I've received any grace or any enabling and empowering from God, then I want to encourage you this morning that we're going to pray that God's grace would be refreshed and renewed in each of us, that God's enabling and empowering would be made even greater in our life. But I want to encourage all of us to not neglect the grace of God in our life. I want to encourage all of us to be strong not in our own effort, to be strong not in our own capacity to do things, to be strong not in presenting a facade to the world that says I have no area of weakness in my life, but to be strong in God's grace, to be strong in God's enabling and empowering presence in our life.
Just as Jesus said, just as Paul essentially said to Timothy, don't even try to do it in your own strength. I would add, don't even think about watering it down to the point where you can do it. And please, don't park it in the garage. Don't give up. Because God's grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes in English we use that word sufficient as it's just enough. But what it actually means is God's grace is perfectly, 100% complete and able and perfect for you. There is no lack in the amount of grace that you need that Jesus has for you. Be strong in the grace that is yours. That is yours. Each and every one of you, God's grace is yours in Christ Jesus. And so we begin by asking, do you feel like you're pushing your life, your Christian walk, or your calling in Jesus uphill? Does it feel like you're about to give up? Does it feel like you need more strength, more power, more enabling in your life? And if that's you this morning, and, and, and you want to not be in that place anymore, if you want to be in the place of God's grace being sufficient for you, then I just encourage you to stand with me this morning as we pray. We're going to invite our worship team to come down and they're going to play in a moment. Um, they'll give you some, some momentum of, oh, other people are standing. Oh, no, wait, it was the worship team. You don't have to stand to receive God's grace, but, but I encourage you just as a sign of, I want more of God's grace. If, if you want to, to, to shift from working in your own strength to to stand before God this morning and say, I want to work in your power, God. I want to work in your enabling. I just encourage you to stand this morning. Um, And I just encourage you to adopt a posture of receiving, whether you're sitting or standing. um, Your own response to God is yours. He knows your heart. But I just encourage you to adopt a posture of, of receiving, whatever that looks like for you. Some might like just put out your hands as a sign of, of God, I want more of your grace. I want more of your power and enabling in my life. Some, some may wish to put their hands in their pockets and say, fill up my pockets with grace, Lord. But just between yourself and God, just come before him now. Father, we repent this morning of seeking to do in our own effort what you've given us grace to do. Father, we repent of pushing it around in our own strength. We repent if we've given up and just parked it in the garage, Lord. We repent of that. We turn back to you. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit this morning to each and every one of us would speak into our hearts the words, my grace is sufficient. It's not just enough, but is more than enough for you.
And so, Father, I pray that you would fill us afresh with your grace by the Holy Spirit, that you would fill us with power, with strength, with grace to endure, to persevere, to follow you. But more than that, Lord, fill us with a desire, a zealousness for the charismata, the 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 endowments of your grace that enable us to do what we cannot do in our own strength. Father, I pray this morning that you would just pour out in each of us a manifestation of the Spirit, a manifestation of your grace in our lives that, that we can fulfill your calling. I pray that your grace, your power, would fall upon us as a church from on high this morning. Father, for those of us this morning that are burnt out and weary, we come before your throne of grace, asking for grace to help us, asking for your empowering and enabling to help us in this time of need this morning. I pray that in that very place of weakness in our lives that your strength would be made perfect. That not in our own strength, but because of our weakness, your strength would be made perfect. In Jesus' name.